Section three of A History of Our Own Times, Volume three by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter thirty one. Transportation. Part one. The year eighteen fifty seven would have been memorable if for no other reason because it saw the abolition of the system of transportation transportation as a means of getting rid of part of our criminal population dates from the time of charles the second when the judges gave power for the removal of offenders to the north american colonies the fiction of the years coming immediately after took account of this innovation and one of the most celebrated if not exactly one of the finest of defoe's novels deals with the history of a convict thus sent out to virginia afterwards the revolt of the american colonies and other causes made it necessary to send convicts farther away from civilization the punishment of transportation was first regularly introduced into our criminal law in seventeen seventeen by an act of parliament in seventeen eighty seven a cargo of criminals was shipped out to botany bay on the eastern shore of new south wales and near sydney the present thriving capital of the colony afterward the convicts were also sent to van diemen's land or tasmania and to norfolk island a lonely island in the pacific some eight hundred miles from the new south wales shore norfolk island became the penal settlement for the convicted among convicts that is to say criminals who after transportation to new south wales committed new crimes there might be sent by the colonial authorities for sterner punishment to norfolk island nothing can seem on the face of it a more satisfactory way of disposing of criminals than the system of transportation in the first place it got rid of them as far as the people at home were concerned and for a long time that was about all that the people at home cared those who had committed crimes not bad enough to be disposed of by the simple and efficient operation of the gallows were got rid of in a manner almost as prompt and effective by the plan of sending them out in shiploads to america or to australia it looked too as if the system ought to be satisfactory in every way and to everybody the convicts were provided with a new career a new country and a chance of reformation they were usually after a while released from actual durance in the penal settlement and allowed conditionally to find employment and to make themselves if they could good citizens their labour it was thought would be of great service to the colonists the act of seventeen seventeen recited that in many of his majesty's colonies and plantations in america there was a great want of servants who by their labour and industry might be the means of improving and making the said colonies and plantations more useful to this nation at that time statesmen only thought of the utility of the colonies to this nation philanthropy might therefore for a while beguile itself with the belief that the transportation system was a benefit to the transported as well as to those among whom they were sent but the colonists very soon began to complain the convicts who had spent their period of probation in hulks or prisons generally left those homes of horror with natures so brutalized as to make their intrusion into any community of decent persons an insufferable nuisance pent up in penal settlements by themselves the convicts turned into demons drafted into an inhabited colony 
they were too numerous to be wholly absorbed by the population and they carried their contagion along with them new south wales began to protest against their presence lord john russell when secretary for the colonies in eighteen forty ordered that no more of the criminal refuse should be carted out to that region then tasmania had them all to herself for a while lord stanley when he came to be at the head of the colonial office made an order that the free settlers of tasmania were not to obtain convict labour at any lower rates than the ordinary market price and tasmania had only put up with the presence of the convicts at all for the sake of getting their labour cheap tasmania therefore began to protest against being made the refuse ground for our scoundrelism mr gladstone while colonial secretary suspended the whole system for a while but it was renewed soon after sir george grey endeavoured to make the cape of good hope a receptacle for a number of picked convicts but in eighteen forty nine the inhabitants of cape colony absolutely refused to allow a shipload of criminals to be discharged upon their shores and it was manifestly impossible to compel them to receive such disagreeable guests by this time public opinion in england was ready to sympathize to the full with any colony which stood out against the degrading system for a long time there had been growing up a conviction that the transportation system carried intolerable evils with it romilly and bentham had condemned it long before in eighteen thirty seven a committee of the house of commons was appointed to consider and report on the system the committee included lord john russell sir robert peel charles buller sir w molesworth and lord howick afterwards earl grey the evidence they collected settled the question in the minds of all thinking men the rev walter clay son of the famous prison chaplain rev john clay says in his memoirs of his father that probably no volume was ever published in england of which the contents were so loathsome as those of the appendix to the committee's report there is not much exaggeration in this the reader must be left to imagine for himself some of the horrors which would be disclosed by a minute account of what happened in a penal den like norfolk island where a number of utterly brutalized men were left to herd together without anything like beneficent control without homes and without the society of women in norfolk island the convicts worked in chains they were roused at daylight in the morning and turned out to labour in their irons and huddled back in their dens at night in some rare cases convicts were sent directly from england to norfolk island but as a rule the island was kept as a place of punishment for criminals who already convicted in the mother country were found guilty of new crimes during their residence in new south wales the condition of things in new south wales was such as civilization has not often seen in sydney especially it was extraordinary when the convicts were sent out to the colony they received each in turn after a certain period of penal probation a conditional freedom in other words a ticket of leave they were allowed to work for the colonists and to support themselves any one who wanted labourers or artisans or servants could apply to the authorities and have convicts assigned to him for the purpose female convicts as well as male were thus employed there was therefore a large number of convicts men and women moving about freely in the active life of sydney doing business working in trades performing domestic service 
to all appearance occupying the place that artisans and labourers and servants occupy among ourselves but there was a profound difference the convict labourers and servants were in reality little better than slaves they were assigned to masters and mistresses and they had to work stern laws were enacted and were no doubt required to keep those terrible subordinates in order the lash was employed to discipline the men the women were practically unmanageable the magistrates had the power on the complaint of any master or mistress to order a man to be flogged with as many as fifty lashes some of the punishment lists remind a reader of the days of slavery in the united states on every page we come on entries of the flogging of men for disobeying the orders of a master or mistress for threatening a fellow-servant for refusing to rub down the horse or clean the carriage or some such breach of discipline a master who was also a magistrate was not allowed to adjudicate in his own case but practically it would seem that masters and mistresses could have their convict servants flogged whenever they thought fit at that time a great many of the native population the blacks as they were called used to stream into the town of sydney as the indians now come into salt lake city or some other western town of america in some of the outlying houses they would lounge into the kitchens as beggars used to do in ireland in old days looking out for any scraps that might be given to them it was a common sight then to see half a dozen of the native women absolutely naked hanging round the doors of the houses where they expected anything between the native women and the convicts at large an almost indiscriminate intercourse set in the black men would bring their wives into the town and offer them for a drop of rum or a morsel of tobacco in this extraordinary society there were those three strands of humanity curiously intertwined there was the civilized englishman with his money his culture his domestic habits there was the outcast of english civilization the jailbird fresh from the prison and the hulks and there was the aboriginal naked savage in the drawing-room sat the wife and daughters of the magistrate in the stable was the convict whose crimes had perhaps been successive burglaries crowned with attempted murder in the kitchen were women servants taken from the convict depot and known to be prostitutes and hanging round the door were the savages men and women all the evidence seems to agree that with hardly any exceptions the women convicts were literally prostitutes there were some exceptions which it is well to notice witnesses who were questioned on the subject gave it as the result of their experience that women convicted of any offence whatever in this country and sent out to new south wales invariably took to profligacy unless they were irish women that is to say it did not follow that an irish convict woman must necessarily be a profligate woman it did follow as a matter of fact in the case of other women some of the convicts married women of bad character and lived on their immoral earnings and made no secret of the fact many of these husbands boasted that they made their wives keep them in what they considered luxuries by the wages of their sin tea and sugar were great luxuries to them at that time and it was a common saying among men of this class that their wives must take care to have the tea and sugar bag filled every day 
convicts soon inoculated the natives with the vilest vices and the foulest diseases of civilization many an english lady found that her woman servants went off in the night somewhere and came back in the morning and they knew perfectly well that the women had been off on some wild freak of profligacy but it was of no use to complain in the midst of all this it would appear that a few of the convicts did behave well that they kept to work with iron industry and rose in the world and were respected in some cases the wives of convicts went out to new south wales and started farms or shops and had their husbands assigned to them as servants and got on tolerably well but in general the convicts led a life of utter profligacy and they corrupted all that came within their reach one convict said to a judge let a man be what he will when he comes out here he is soon as bad as the rest a man's heart is taken from him and there is given to him the heart of a beast perpetual profligacy incessant flogging this was the combination of the convict's life many of the convicts liked the life on the whole and wrote to friends at home urging them to commit some offence get transported and come out to new south wales an idle ruffian had often a fine time of it there this of course does not apply to norfolk island no wretch could be so degraded or so unhappy anywhere else as to find relief in that hideous lair of suffering and abomination such was the condition of things described to the committee of the house of commons in eighteen thirty seven it is right and even necessary to say that we have passed over almost without allusion some of the most hideous of the revelations we have kept ourselves to abominations which at all events bear to be spoken of from the publication of the evidence taken before the committee any one might have seen that the transportation system was doomed it was clear that if any colony made up its mind to declare that it would not endure the thing any longer no english minister could venture to say that he would force it on the colonists the doomed and odious system however continued for a long time to be put in operation as far as possible it was most tempting both as to theory and to practice it was an excellent thing for the people at home to get rid of so much of their ruffianism and it was easy to persuade ourselves that the system gave the convicts a chance of reform and ought to be acceptable to the colonists End of section three.